Hi, I'm Bob McCoskery. Did you know that the third most watched New Zealand on-air funded TV program at the moment is David Lomas Investigates? It's a series that reunites families and discovers lost family heritage. Why is it so popular? Well, I think it's because it taps into our deep human longing and need to know who we belong to and where we come from. Our whakapapa, or our genealogy. I mention this because there are moves to change the laws around the area of surrogacy. The Law Commission has just released its review of surrogacy laws in New Zealand. Now the Law Commission's told the government current legislation's out of date and needs an urgent overhaul. Key recommendations include simplifying the recognition of legal parents of surrogate children without going to court, establishing a national register to preserve access to genetic information and whakapapa, and allowing surrogates to receive reasonable payment for costs incurred. And the Law Commission argues that surrogacy is a legitimate form of family building that requires a specific legal framework to promote and protect the rights and interests of surrogate-born children, surrogates and intended parents. And there's also a private members bill by Labour MP Tamati Coffey to make surrogacy easier, which is currently before a select committee. This bill will, amongst other things, make it easier to find surrogates and donors from a register, may include some level of payment, and would record some of the details of the biological parents who provide the embryo or the cells for the pregnancy. Now, the number of people conceived using a donor has been increasing year on year. As you can see, the 2020 data is still coming in. But here's the question that nobody seems to be asking. Should we be making surrogacy and sperm donation easier? First, though, some definitions. What do we mean by surrogacy? Surrogacy is an arrangement where a woman, the surrogate, agrees to become pregnant and carries and delivers a child on behalf of another person or people who intend to raise a child from birth, the intending parents. Now there are two types of surrogacy. In traditional surrogacy, the surrogate mother's egg is used, making her the genetic mother. Pregnancy is usually achieved by artificial insemination using the sperm of an intended parent or maybe of a donor. And the donor may have no desire to be an active parent of the child. In gestational surrogacy, the surrogate does not use her own egg in conception. Instead, an embryo is created using an ovum and sperm from the intended parents or maybe from donors. The embryo is then implanted in the surrogate, so the surrogate is not the genetic mother. Surrogates are also sometimes called gestational carriers. Now, I think it's really important to say from the outset we all completely sympathise with couples who cannot have children. And we understand why some consider going down this track in order to have children. But this discussion tends to be focused only on the adult rights and needs and ignores the rights and needs of the child. Ironically, in the explanatory note to the Labour MP's private members bill, it refers to the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, which talks about a child's right from birth to know their parents and to be cared for by them. But surrogacy and sperm donation can go against that exact right. What is it like to find out that your true biological father's only involvement in your life was the donation of his sperm? How do you deal with the feeling of loss and rejection from your biological mother, who was labelled as your surrogate or 
gestational carrier? Is it normal that when you see someone who resembles you, you wonder if they are related? Can you be blamed for feeling disturbed that some money may have been involved in your conception? And what if the biological parent or parents don't want any contact? The identity of some donors can remain anonymous, or they may refuse contact, irrespective of what the child may want. But children have a deep longing to know who they belong to, where they come from, and who they look like. But the process leads to the commodification of children. There is this notion of renting a womb. As child advocate and expert Jennifer Lowell, the president for the Centre for Bioethics and Culture, says, women are not easy bake ovens and our children are not cupcakes. In fact, one of the recent commentaries I read on this issue was from some academics at Canterbury University and they were debating who are the legal parents, the biological parents or the intending parents who want the child. And these academics argued that while a simple approach might be to designate the intended parents as the legal parents, it is crucial the surrogate has the right to make all medical decisions during the pregnancy, including abortion if necessary. Oh dear, that doesn't sound like the child's rights are the focus, does it? Surrogacy, even when done altruistically, without payment, can objectify children and surrogate mothers and create lifelong emotional issues for both. The research shows that surrogate mothers can be at increased risk for emotional trauma and psychological burden. Deep bonds are formed between mother and child during gestation, and the inability of some surrogate mothers to relinquish their babies has resulted in excruciating levels of anguish for the surrogate, and it's also resulted in high-profile lawsuits. You see, oxytocin's hormonal bond, firmly established between the mother and her pre-born during gestation, is meant to be reinforced after birth by mother-to-baby physical interactions, skin-to-skin contact, eye-gazing, and breastfeeding. This oxytocin link not only facilitates key physiological processes in the baby's development, but it also helps the mother to recover after delivery. It promotes bonding patterns between the mother and neonate and creates desire for further contact. In fact, Australian commentator Miranda Devine, who spoke at our forum a few years ago, argues that to have carried a baby in your womb, shared a blood supply, felt its little feet kick against your abdomen, heard its little heartbeat, sensed it growing bigger and stronger while it changes your metabolism and the way you sleep, breathe and eat, and then to have given birth to a living, breathing human child you have been longing to cuddle is not a trivial act. So to have it described as some clinical, remote terms is insensitive and thoughtless, to say the least. It is so much more than being born through a gestational carrier, as if the woman was some sort of ceremonial archway through which the child was magically conveyed. There's a powerful documentary called Breeders, a subclass of women, which contains very moving stories of four surrogate mothers revealing a more troubling side to what is becoming a big industry in many countries. And one of these surrogates is Angelia Robinson, who agreed to carry twins for her brother and his male partner. She now says, I think all surrogacy should be banned. Everything is focused on the people that can't have children. Nothing is focused on the children themselves or the breeding class of women that we're creating. 
Surrogacy can also endanger women's health and lives. There are various health complications with any pregnancy, but there are many additional surrogacy-specific health risks. One of the suggestions in the Private Members Bill currently being considered by Parliament is around certain payments for surrogates, an aspect that was also endorsed by the Law Commission report, which said, clarifying the law to allow payments to surrogates for reasonable costs actually incurred in relation to a surrogacy arrangement, including compensation for loss of income. Now while the text in the Private Members Bill on this aspect sounds moderate, it should immediately sound alarm bells. We already know that commercial surrogacy can be exploitative, because the contracting parties are not always free and equal. Surrogacy can involve treating women and children as objects of commerce or trade. International experience shows that the women most at risk of being exploited in this industry are poor and vulnerable women, especially women in poor areas around the world who oftentimes agree as a result of financial incentives. Surrogacy and IVF also opens the door to sex selection and the prospective designing of children. In New Zealand, you can choose a donor based on the information around ethnicity, eye, colour, height, education and personality. And there's been some disturbing examples of this picking and choosing overseas. For example, a surrogate mother being ordered to abort a baby in the US after the surrogate learnt she was having triplets. Ironically, the surrogate mother said, they are human beings, I bonded with these kids, this is just not right. The Melbourne couple who aborted twin boys conceived through IVF because they already had three sons and wanted a daughter instead. And what happens when it all goes wrong? Who is responsible for surrogate children born with severe disabilities? You may remember the 2015 Australian case of baby Gammy, born to a Thai surrogate mother, but abandoned by his Australian parents after they discovered the twin boy had Down syndrome. They took the healthy twin sister. But it was later reported that the surrogate mother had fallen in love with the twins she was carrying and decided she was going to keep the boy. What happens when the surrogate mother has multiple births? Who's the parent then? It's very complicated, isn't it? A proposed law can try and tidy this all up, but we're dealing with biology, conception, gestation, and the biological rights of children. And that leads to the final point. The majority of children conceived via third-party reproduction want to know the essential parts of their own heritage. A number of donor-conceived children are starting to speak up, even here in New Zealand. A wealthy Australian sperm donor who has more than 24 children pleaded to keep his identity secret because he feared his offspring would want to contact him and establish relationships. How shocking. Fertility clinics in New Zealand limit the amount of children from a single sperm donor to 12. Yes, as many as 12. And despite the greatest intentions of the lawmakers, there's no mandate that a donor is to be involved or will want to be involved in the child's life. It may still effectively be anonymous, except for the disclosure maybe of some of their genetic origin. And the whole industry is very difficult to regulate, in fact virtually impossible. DIY donor babies are a growing phenomenon. Daddy's name may still be donor. Mummy's name may still be donor. Last year, the Commission on Parenthood's Future released a report, We Are Donor Conceived. 
and most of the participants were between 20 and 40 years old and they were asked to reflect on what it was like to learn they are donor conceived and the top five most frequently selected words were shocked, confused, curious, numb and sad. But more upsetting was that 71% agreed with the statement, the method of my conception sometimes causes me to feel distressed, angry or sad. And 88% of respondents believe it is a basic human right to know the identity of both biological parents. And that's because they want to reach out to them. The 2013 documentary Anonymous Father's Day explores the stories of women and men who are the children of sperm donors. We should listen to their concerns. I want to find my biological father because he is an important part of my life. I wouldn't be here without him. I want to look in his face or at least look at a picture of him and I know that I'm going to see myself. I look in the mirror and I don't know who I look like. Until I was 20 years old, the only thing I knew about my biological father was that he was blonde with blue eyes and he had a college degree. My sister and I set out on a quest to see if we could find anything more about the man who made us and the 500 or 1,000 half-siblings that I have. I thought, wow, I'm one of the first produced by science and not sex. Should we be conceiving children in the first place who will be deliberately denied the ability to know and be known by their father? It's quite possible to be grateful for your life and question aspects of your conception. I want to know that story. I want my children to know where they came from. And if I don't find him, it won't be because I didn't look for him. In 2015, the European Parliament condemned surrogate motherhood. Under the paragraph on rights of women and girls, it states, condemns the practice of surrogacy, which undermines the human dignity of the woman since her body and its reproductive functions are used as a commodity. Considers that the practice of gestational surrogacy, which involves reproductive exploitation and use of the human body for financial or other gain, in particular in the case of vulnerable women in developing countries, shall be prohibited and treated as a matter of urgency in human rights instruments. Many countries have banned surrogacy. Denmark, France, Germany, Ireland, Italy, Spain, Portugal, Bulgaria, Cambodia. Other countries such as Britain, Sweden, Norway and Switzerland have banned anonymous sperm and egg donation. But these laws are easy to get around. And in all of this discussion, and although largely ignored by the media when they talk about this issue, the rights of the child should remain paramount. Biology matters, especially to the child. This is not a sexuality issue, it's not even a marital status issue, although that would help, but this is a biological issue. Biology discriminates. Don't tell the Human Rights Commission that, but biology discriminates. It takes a mum and a dad to create a child. And children have a deep desire to know their mum and dad. We should take all the steps we can as a society to meet this fundamental need of every child. We would encourage you to take time to investigate this issue further. Go to our website, surrogacylaws.nz. That's surrogacylaws.nz. Let's speak up for the rights of children.